0: Well, some say he's a myth, others say he's a metaphor, and some people think it was a real monster. What is Leviathan, the fire-breathing dragon? Welcome to the Creation Today Show, guys. I'm Eric Hovind, and today we want to tackle this creature called leviathan he's mentioned six different times in the bible he's found in job chapter 3 job chapter 41 psalm 74 psalm 104 and isaiah 27 so what is it people have interpreted this creature with a um, with a pretty big variety of creativity uh i heard yesterday a preacher saying that this was a space monster We're gonna have to look at that. Uh, Some people say it's a great whale. Uh, Others think maybe a crocodile. So I got a question for you. Was he a myth? Was he a metaphor? Or was he a real monster? Well, if this is your first time tuning in to the Creation Today show, I just want to say welcome. You are getting to listen in to some of the conversation that we get to have between an expert and our Creation Today partners. I'd love to hear your feedback as you listen in, so feel free to use that live chat feature. If you're joining me live via Facebook or YouTube, or if you're one of our podcast subscribers or you're watching this As part of our Creation Today show that airs around the world, I still welcome your feedback through email. Just send your email to comments at creationtoday.org, comments at creationtoday.org. And hey, if you ever want to team up with us and join the full conversation, head on over to creationtoday.org and let's partner up to reach the world. Uh, Just so you know, Creation Today is a community of people that we just want to help other people turn stumbling blocks that keep people from coming to Christ into stepping stones on a true journey to Christ. And I got to be honest, I love it. I love our little community. It's making a difference around the world every single day. Speaking of creation today, partners, thank you guys for joining me. Welcome. Uh, I am really thankful that you guys are here and that you guys see the bigger picture and a part of are a part of what we're doing. So, Gary... Mm. PK, always good to see you guys on here. I see you guys are already enjoying the chat. Uh, Shane, great to have you on here. William, good to have you on here. Andrew, great to have you here. Cheryl, good to have you guys here. All of you guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm, I'm really excited about our guest today. Uh, he has a master's in biotechnology and a PhD in paleobiology if i got there biochemistry not by bio, paleo biochemistry gonna have to ask him about that got that in 2019 from the university of liverpool uh he taught junior high and high school biology chemistry and anatomy uh in 2008 he joined the institute for creation research as a science writer and an editor he is a researcher a speaker a scientist uh all-around awesome guy the author of tons of books including several on the subject of dinosaurs ladies and gentlemen please help me welcome my friend dr brian thomas dr t how you doing
1: sir hello mr eric good to see you i'm doing great
0: i am so glad we get to hang out with you today this is going to be an interesting conversation
1: Uh, oh i'm excited Uh, yeah leviathan is uh uh it, it, I mean, who wouldn't be excited about learning about giant monsters?
0: Yeah, yeah that's what we got to find out. I mean, is this a real monster? Is it a metaphor for something else? I heard that. I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, is it just a myth? Is it something that was just made up? By the way, uh, uh, partners, hey, you guys um, feel free to ask your questions. I know you guys are going to have questions. I'll be trying to monitor the chat as we go. So you guys feel free to ask your questions. Hey, Dr. T, I want to start with um, with something uh, I want to know ahead of time what people out there are thinking about Leviathan. So out of the three options that I'm kind of boiling it down to, myth, metaphor, or monster, I want you guys to throw in the chat what you think it might be. So if you're a partner with me, I can see you guys right here. Throw it in there. Is it a myth, a metaphor, or a real monster? Uh, if you're on YouTube or on Facebook, throw that in the chat, and the ladies will be tracking that and let me know what you guys think. Myth, metaphor, or monster, what do you guys think? Let me know right Now, I'm really curious where you're at before we spill the beans on what we think this is. Uh, Doc, by the way, you are going to let us know what it really is by the end of this conversation, right?
1: Well, only if I learn what it is between now and the end of our conversation.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. So it's still a little bit of a mystery. That's right. But can we can we uncover a little bit of this? Are there are there clues that are going to help us figure this out along the way?
1: Oh, sure. I'm ready with some clues
0: oh good 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 by the way by the way uh i've got a copy of your book i've actually got several copies but this one i'm going to be giving away this is your book dinosaurs and the bible and you do actually talk about leviathan in here uh so amanda marlissa uh or joe can one of you guys pick one of these lovely creation today partners and let's send them this book you if you want the book if you, and you're one of our partners feel free to just throw it in the chat here uh, uh, that you want this book and i tell you what we'll even make it less valuable. We'll make it a signed copy. It won't be signed by the author because he's not here. But I'll can I do that for you, Dr. T? Can I just sign your name right here? Can I?
1: <laughs> I'll sign okay. my name and I'll,
0: I'll have the team sign their name. Uh, but I'll give you a way to copy of that book to somebody here. Yep. Just, I want that Great. book, guys. Oh, there you go. PK wants it. Darren wants it. Okay. Um, So uh, how in the world? You're a dinosaur expert. Uh, oh, by the way, you didn't always believe what you believe now about dinosaurs and about the Bible. Can you can you give them the, the little synopsis of your background and how you weren't always a believer in what you believe now?
1: Well, sure. I mean, I was raised uh, in, in a secular with a secular mindset, which means um, whatever the scientists say about the past, I took at it. <clears throat> I just, you know, took that on board. So if they said I evolved from apes or ape like ancestors, I said, okay, it's if that's what the scientists say, then you know, and then the world is as billions of years old, okay, if that's what the scientists say, it must be true, and that, um, so I held on to that, and then, um, you know, so I believed in long ages and evolution, And, um, and then I got to college, and I was exposed to the gospel, and I realized, hey, the parts of the Bible that describe my heart being sinful, and my soul needing a savior, I know that's true. It's just its just right and true, because I know my heart, and I have sins, and I need a Savior, and I can't save myself. I've tried, and I'm, I can never be good enough. So that part made sense, and I trusted in Christ and started following Him. Well, then I started going back to Genesis, right, and reading, and it's like, but there's no evolution here. There's no long ages here. Which parts of the Bible do I trust, and which do I, you know, have to, like, take an exacto knife and get rid of uh, to cut the pages out? So I had to. So I went under this. Um, I guess a five-year journey where I decided I want to get to the bottom of this. I want to know how much of the Bible can I believe, and uh, what does the science show. So I started reading creation-based books, which at first I tried to disprove them. Um, uh, the first book I read was actually produced by uh, the Institute for Creation Research, where I now work. <laughs> That's
0: uh, awesome. Yeah. God has it's, a sense of humor, man. What an epic turnaround there!
1: Total turnaround. Yeah, so, oh, so, now I, so now I've come to believe, oh, there's, there's science that supports Genesis, and I just never knew about it until I started looking for it, and boy, did I find it. And uh, then I went back to the Bible, and really, honestly, the God of the Bible, he himself became, uh, in my little mind, way more trustworthy uh, and closer to me than, than ever before, because I knew I could trust his word, and so that was life-changing for me. And that's why I do what I do.
0: Well, I think this topic of Leviathan is interesting because this is one of those passages that makes people wonder, can we trust God's word? I mean, should it just, is it, do we just chalk this up as, hey, this is an ancient writing. They made up this myth to try to portray something. Maybe it was just, it was a myth that was used as a metaphor. Um, you know, by the way, most of the people on here say, Real monster, I want that book. Real monster, I want that book. Real monster, yes, please, I want that book. Real monster. Uh, Gary even says it's uh, it's a huge aquatic, aquatic creature of some kind. It's a fearsome beast, uh, has uh, tons of power, uh, and God is the one who can get the praise out of it. I was like, okay, all right, let's see, let's see what this is. So I can understand why a lot of people would doubt the scriptures because of a passage like what we're going to talk about, in uh with leviathan uh what what is it that what was there a piece of information that changed for you or was it really coming to know christ as your savior and then him open your eyes to all this evidence of 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 creation being true of god's word being true
1: well like i said i had this five-year journey where i had to investigate the evidence and uh there were there were key moments in that investigation process that uh that you, you know sort of turned the Titanic. And, uh, <clears throat> one of those moments had to have been, um, what we, you know, when we looked at, uh, Archaeopteryx, that it's a fossil bird. And, uh, and, and I was taking zoology course at the university and the last day of class, the professor showed a, a big picture of Archaeopteryx, this fossil bird. He put it on the overhead projector. That's how old I am. And, uh, <laughs> And he told the whole class, he said, this is proof of evolution. Look, it's got reptilian features from its reptilian past, and yet it's mostly bird. It's got these little teeth in its beak, little claw on its wing right here, and a, and a long bony tail. And I thought, well, if that's proof of evolution, um, there it is staring me at the face. And, and so I had to I had to believe in evolution. Well, then I got to um, a, a few pages in in that creation book that I was telling you about, uh, it was called Scientific Creationism, which, you know, I hated the title, but I had to read it to refute it, right? And it, anyway, I couldn't refute it. And then it got, it got to the page where it says Archaeopteryx. And I thought, ah, what are these silly creationists, fake scientists, you know, what, what are they going to say about this proof of evolution that I, that I learned about in, in my course? And what they said was, not from their own mouths, they quoted what other evolutionists said about it. To me, that was powerful. So in other words, it wasn't what they were saying, it was what my professor's colleagues who believe in evolution were saying, and you know what they said? They quoted from two different evolutionists who both said, it was a bird. It's an extinct bird. And then, then I got to thinking about it, why would teeth represent reptiles? Because mammals have teeth also. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and and why would clot? So there's there is no reptile, reptilian, uh, you know, distinctive features. Uh, so there aren't any. So um, anyway, it's just an extinct bird. And if the evolution, so in other words, my professor was saying this is proof of evolution, but his colleagues were saying no, it's not. It's just an extinct bird. They're saying the opposite things about the same fossil. And I thought they don't have the answers because they're just bickering with one another. They completely disagree. And then um, and then I realized. Okay, they're propping up this whole story about evolution um, on just a handful of disputed transitional forms. And Archaeopteryx was and is totally disputed. So I take the position that it's just an extinct bird, and that fits uh, really well with the creation view that God made birds to be birds. They've always been birds, and that's one of the birds that he made, and now it's extinct. Kind of like maybe Leviathan? (laughs)
0: Okay, so what brought this up and what made me want to do a show on this is a friend of mine, Tyson Murphy, who's a pastor out in Oklahoma, wrote me an email, sent me a text. He said, hey, I was reading Leviticus 26 this morning, and I read verse 6. And in verse 6, it's the passage where it says, and I'm going to take away, I'm going to remove the harmful beasts from the land. He said, it made me wonder if, you know, since this was a time when Israel was serving the Lord, if if that was part of what happened to possibly dinosaurs, israel obeyed god and he removed them he said i'm just thinking out loud but could it be a divine thing that dinosaurs are extinct more than just a natural thing and anyway i i you're the dinosaur expert so we got to learn a little bit about dinosaurs what does god's word say about leviathan what does science say about the things that god's word says about leviathan you got to take us on a journey here and help us understand what this creature could be
1: uh well why don't we start with surveying uh, some of the passages, some of the Bible texts? Perfect. Okay. So we've got, of course, the Job 41 passage. Um, and we'll... I think we, could, we should zoom in on that passage last. Okay. Uh, would that work? Yeah, that's
0: yeah. great. I, that, that is probably the fullest description, isn't it, right. of, of Leviathan, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, the word is used in Psalm 74, 14. It says, you broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Now this, I think, see that the text, the the context of the text lets us know if it's using this word as a metaphor or as a literal. Okay. And I think this is uh clearly metaphoric, because he's not he's not literally, I mean. It says heads, plural, of Leviathan. There's no literal animal that has multiple heads. So he's he's talking about um, he's talking about something other than an, a literal physical animal. He's using he's using, using the word there as a as a um, metaphor, probably for the nations that um, that his people uh, that the Israelites inhabited. Okay, what about Psalm uh, one hundred four twenty six? Psalm 104.26 says, uh, there, there the ships sail about, there is that leviathan which you have made to play there. Okay, is there a metaphor here? I mean, he's talking about ships there in a physical place, the sea, sailing about, sailing ships. I mean, there's no, there's no metaphor here. It's just plain speech. There the ships sail about, there's that leviathan uh, which you made to play. And I looked up the word play, and you know what it means? It means play.
0: Play. i this. <laughs> that's it's, good.
1: It's, you know, we think of God as like this uh, this divine furrowed brow, you know, guy in the sky. But this verse says that he created a creature for the purpose of goofing off. And I just think that's that tells us something about our our creator. But it's a literal use of the literal word. I mean it's it's the context here is, is talking about an actual creature. Well, well, what was it? Um, it there's, I think there's lots of um, um, historical records that talk about sea monsters, and we don't see those sea monsters anymore today. But um, there's records in and, and many nations uh, about um, sea monsters, and so maybe Leviathan uh, was one of those sea monsters that our forefathers described um, and uh, we just, so we have to put together some clues to figure out which one it was, if we can uh, do that. So, so, the trick is, there's not a lot of anatomical detail given in the scripture to, to describe this, but there are some details and we can, we can look at those. And then finally, I got Isaiah 27, uh, verse 1. In that day, so here's the question, is this passage using the word Leviathan as a metaphor? or as a um, literal reference to an animal. And it says, In that day the Lord, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. And if you look at the context of the passage, uh, I mean, why would, why would God punish a single animal? Um, you know, And why would it be fleeing? And who cares? What, what what purpose would that accomplish? So obviously here it's, I think, it's metaphor and uh, metaphor. F- um, so it's, he's he's using the the great and terrible, the literal physical great and terrible sea monster to represent a great and terrible people that he's going to chase down. Um, so so that's so that's the sort of the survey. So half the time we see it in scripture, it's used as a metaphor. Other half, it's used uh, roughly. It's used uh, as uh, it, uh, to refer to the to a, to a literal physical animal according to the text, and then Job Job 41 is the main is the main text there. And, uh,
0: I can really see before we go to there. I can really see how this can cause a lot of confusion because it is used as a word metaphorically. You know, right before Isaiah 20, you know, six, the last part of 26, um, he's going to you know punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain um yeah you know is the earth actually doing something in in the day of the lord then it's 27 1 in that day the lord with his servant uh with his sorry i just got contacts i got to do better here i got to wear my contacts um with a severe sword great and strong will punish leviathan the fleeing serpent leviathan the twisted serpent and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea hmm do you think some of these could be both? Because I'm like, man, that sounds so literal about a reptile in the sea specifically.
1: Um, yeah, I think the sea is a, is a common metaphor throughout prophetic scripture of the peoples, the Gentile peoples. So uh, so I, th- okay. I think, and then you, you just read the context there, uh, showing that God's prophesying a worldwide judgment. Like he's going to judge the world and uh, in, in all, those, all the sin and all the sinners. Who haven't repented and trusted in Christ? And so this is one of the, you know, just another foretelling and warning. Get right with God. Um, He's gonna, He's gonna knock out the uh, the devil, the world system, and everything and everyone connected to it. And He's gonna build a new heavens, a new earth, elsewhere. And Isaiah talks about that. And then of course, Second Peter three reiterates this and says, um, the the next judgment, the first worldwide judgment was by water. The next one was by fire. So, so anyway, we do have um, we do have uh, literal descriptions of Levi of a Leviathan, and I can't get around it. Uh, uh, I, I can't try to make it metaphorical uh, when it clearly is not. I mean, it's an animal that's playing in the sea. and then and then job 41 uh, is the next passage.
0: It is interesting because these metaphors, when the Bible is speaking metaphorically, it's typically not giving us something that we can't understand it's giving us something that we can understand. so when it says he stretched out the heavens as a tent, you know well we can understand that the metaphor works because we know what it's like to stretch out a tent and especially the at this time they were very familiar a lot of people lived in tents they were very familiar with stretching out a tent so uh, these these passages when it is metaphorically speaking and it seems the context seems to indicate this, it's using a metaphor of something that is real from something that is real, which yet alone or or yet again gives credence to the idea that Leviathan really was a real creature. Even if it's referring to it metaphorically, it really was a real creature.
1: Well, it wouldn't be useless, useful as a metaphor, unless it was real.
0: (laughs) Exactly. If we don't know what this thing is. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, and it is hard to identify what it may have been. I mean, um, a, a lot of conservative commentators acknowledge this is talking about a real creature because, in the context here of Job um, 39, 40, they were all talking about um, real creatures. I mean, deer, ostrich, um, and some of them uh, extinct, like the aurochs, a, a, a cow, a type of a cow that's now extinct. So, um, but some of the creatures are not extinct. Um, anyway they're all creatures and God is trying to illustrate something about his own character and he's trying to communicate with job and now he says um, th- then he went through uh, job uh, 40 starting verse 15 talking about, about the behemoth which which uh, we take to position that that was a dinosaur alive after the flood and uh, it, the anatomy is, is, is um, pretty descriptive of behemoth the, uh, there and I think it's a sauropod dinosaur you know the long neck long tail Um <clears throat> And those were those would have been in the you know in the biblical model those would have been um, maybe on Noah's ark not not the fully grown ones uh, but juveniles uh, and um, come off the ark and then repopulate the post flood world and and find new habitats same thing with Leviathan although it probably survived like fish uh, and crocodiles um, and sea creatures it probably survived. Um, the flood waters outside the ark um and lived for a time but i mean if you've got sea monsters and it's a 40 foot long thing and you're trying to row your dinghy you know out in the sea and every time you you know every time you send your kids out they get eaten you know it's like w- let's do something to make the shipping lanes a little safer well what are you going to do these things had nostrils you know so levi- so leviathan um, he's got nostrils, and um, so that means he has to surface for, for air. And if, if an animal comes to the surface, um, you know, he's susceptible. We can, we can maybe get to him, get at him. Or we can find his lair or where it lays its eggs. And every time it goes out to sea and leaves its eggs alone, we can, we can chop up those eggs and make sure that he never reproduces. And we'll just wait till the old one dies. And then, then uh, we'll clear the shipping lanes. And so i think i think the ancients did that long ago uh possibly uh, no record of that but it's it's one way to make the world a safer place but the point being here uh in job 41 is uh, we have a description of an animal you know
0: and there are historical records of monsters in the sea that don't seem to be just fabricated stories these are these are things that if people saw they were ridiculed for they were made fun of you didn't do it to become popular back in that day. You did it if it if it was true, so to speak. It wasn't just something that you did to become popular. Um, and yeah, well, I, I want to go through the, the description here. By the way, while you read this description, uh, I, I heard somebody yesterday uh, say that uh, on a video, say that Behemoth and Leviathan go together. It was the hippopotamus and Leviathan is the crocodile. And then they just as we read this you tell me what you think okay but they they literally metaphor made everything just a metaphor and like when when the it, you know he moves his tail like a cedar well a hippo has a little bitty tiny tail and, and the guy goes well that's referring to the whole back end of his body and if you look at a hippo the way it capsizes a boat is it does it with the backside of its body and I so I pulled up a bunch of I, Amanda you're probably frustrated with me I pulled up all these videos of hippo attacks they're all attacking with their mouth, they're not attacking with their butt, okay? And I was just like, okay, that doesn't seem to be accurate. And then he said, Leviathan is the croc, and they go together because many times crocs and hippos are in the same area. And if the the hippo tips over the boat, well, then the croc gets lunch. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if that's how it normally works. That doesn't seem to be the way it, it, like crocs don't hang out with hippos because hippos tip over boats and the crocodile can eat lunch. It's not the way it's. And then he said, "the the fire that we're going to read about." He said, "Well, the fire that's like, you know, when when somebody really is, you know, burns you and just makes you so mad, you just get burned up by them." That's what it's talking about there. So, I, I was just like, "That seems to be a pretty extreme uh, argument in order to make this fit something that's modern day, rather than kind of taking the text for what it really says."
1: Yeah, it sounds it sounds like you're talking to someone who's. Uh, uh, doing what we call eisegesis, where you, you have an idea and you force fit the text to fit your idea. And we, we have to work hard, and I'm guilty of that too, but we have to work hard to, uh, to let the text, like you said, say what it's trying to say and not force it to mean something other than what it says. If, because that's really dangerous. I mean, if this is God's word. I mean, if, if God really wrote this And, you know, and and if we can, if we're, if we're allowed to approach God's word and say, did God really say that, you know, we sound just like the serpent in the garden when we, when we approach God's word that way. Did he really say that? And then come up with another meaning, you know, Uh, and then as soon as we can come up with another meaning for what these words say over here, then we feel free to come up with another meaning for those words and over there. And so we we so then we end up uh, with this approach to the Bible that you know you can just come up with meanings, <laughs> and, and then it loses all of its of its uh, authority, and um, that's really dangerous because if this is God's word, it carries His authority. He is the um, the you know He is behind it all, and He's trying to tell us something specific, and and, and if we can't take Him at face value uh, when the text is plain about things um, th- then, um, then we're, we're, we're cutting ourselves off from being able to understand what God wants us to know. And that's, that's not a position I want to be in. I want to know what God wants me to know. Um, and, and so that's the approach that I, that I've begun to take with the Bible.
0: That's awesome. Well, let's look at this text and I got to let social media go here in just a minute. So let's try to get through this and give Kind of some ideas of what you think it is and then we'll talk about the science behind those and the other scriptures that back those up with our creation today partners but i want to at least get social media and our podcast listeners and our television audience to say hear this and then you say i think it could be and then before we let them go
1: okay well so we got job uh job 41. can you draw leviathan with a with a hook or snare his tongue with a line uh implication being no it's too big um, Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Well, that's a big jaw to not be able to hook. So he's big. Okay. Will he speak softly to you? This is really funny. Will he make a covenant with you? Um, Will will you play with him like a bird? Uh, No, he he wouldn't just eat your arm off. He'd swallow you whole. Uh, (laughs) Obviously the answer, no, you wouldn't do that. A leash for your maidens? No. Uh, Will your companions make a banquet out of him? And so uh, can you fill his skin with harpoons? So that's, now we're starting to get a little bit more anatomy. He's got some sort of, um, some sort of skin that um, even a harpoon can't, uh, can't penetrate. So lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. Like he'll eat you. Any hope of overcoming him is false. Verse uh, 9. Um, he's, so he talks about the fierceness. Who's it? And here, here's the key verse. Here's the key verse as far as what Job, what God is trying to tell Job. God's trying to convince Job. No no one is so fierce that he would dare stir up Leviathan. Who then is able to stand against me? So, so God, is, God is saying, Leviathan is terrible. He's terrifying. He's immense. And yet I created it. And mm-hmm. so if you're going to come up against, if you can't come up against this little bitty creation of mine, then what hope do you have of, uh, you know, of fighting against me? No hope at all. So that he's, he's calling Job to trust in him, which Job finally does in the first uh, passage uh, uh, in the next chapter. Um, oh, so then he goes on, I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty powers, graceful proportions. Um, who, who can approach him? So he's got um, the, terrible teeth all around and God is admitting he's got these terrible teeth. Rows of scales are his pride. Ah, so now we've got the reason why um, spears can't penetrate his hide. He has scales, and the word for scales there, the Hebrew word is actually shields, rows of, rows of scales. So whatever, if we're going to try to match this creature with something known from fossils, we're going to have to find something that's got scales that are really robust, um, um, and it's got to be a big animal. Well... I used to think it was, um, you know, maybe a crocodile, but they're just too small. Crocodiles don't, um, uh, don't have, verse 18, his sneezing flash forth light, and out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's attempting to make these uh, uh, passages mean something other than it breathes fire, because we don't have a creature that, you know, that's big and breathes fire. Uh, But we do have, we do have creatures that produce light and electricity um, and we do have the bombardier beetle that produces, uh, you know, uh, something burning, um, it burns its enemies. So if, if, if God can create, you know, organs, soft tissue organs that generate electric shocks or that generate light, um, then I, I'm not going to put it past him to be able to create uh, organs that can produce heat and fire. And uh, so, even though it's extinct, um, I'm, the text says that it's literally what what the thing did. Well, and,
0: and, and some people would say, well what good would that do underwater? But if there was no such thing as an electric eel and we learned or we read about some sea creature in the water that you know could could shock and electrocute its you know its, its prey, we'd go, well what good would electricity do underwater? That, we, we would kind of say the same thing about something we didn't know if we didn't know about the electric eel so and i think about these things and the the bioluminescence that's available the 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 electric yield there's some pretty god invented some pretty crazy technology in these animals that that we can't even replicate yet today
1: oh yeah big time so it talks about uh, it talks about a lot of verses about breathing fire and then verse 22 he's got a he's got a neck so that rules out like um oh like mosasaurs they have, I mean, I guess they have a neck, but it, it's just not prominent. It's like it's a head stuck on the end of a tube, and then it's got flippers right behind, right by its shoulders. Anyway, um, it's because I used to think maybe it's a maybe it's a mosasaur, but that's a marine, it's an extinct marine reptile. He raises himself up. Uh, verse 30 says, uh, he he leaves his uh, he his undersides are like sharp potsherds, so these are scales with um, like um angles sharp angles on the scales on his belly and he spreads pointed marks in the mire so he's got he's up on land now and he's in the he's he's on the he's walking in mud so marks in the mud so that rules out like plesiosaurs you know the long neck um swimming uh, extinct reptiles uh, so boy what was this thing well, if you'd have asked me in 2015, I would have said the closest guess I have is Spinosaurus aegypticus, and, and we have fossils of those. Um, and that thing was, it meets all these qualifications, um, except it has a giant sail on its back. And you'd think that God would have you know, added that description uh, with a big sail on its back. Um, so it may be Spinosaurus, but then I read a paper in 2020 and it changed my mind um, and, I, and I'm starting to think that there's an extinct creature that better fits um, these descriptions better than Spinosaurus. And that would be um, Dinosuchus. So Dinosuchus is like an enormous, it's 40 foot long crocodile type creature um, that's now extinct. But I mean, <clears throat> this thing was huge. It had teeth the size of bananas. Wow. So yeah, it meets it meets that characteristic. Um, can you see these scales? Those are
0: scales. Wow. Well,
1: they're they're they're, they're called osteoderms, and these are in Dinosuchus, and um, they're like uh, shields. Rows of shields are his pride, says the text. Hmm. Now, Dinosuchus had the thickest shields or um, osteoderms uh of any of these types of extinct creatures so you can see the scale bar there is like five centimeters so it's like the each one of these bones it's like a it's a bone bony plate but all it's kind of thick it's a really thick plate but anyway it's like a, a bone about the size of your palm maybe a little bigger and uh, about that size and and so each so the, they come pock with these pock marks you see these little divots yeah. in each of the osteoderms some of them have a peak in the middle like uh, like the corners of a potsherd, that, that the text said. Anyway, um, these divots are places where a, a connective tissue would attach. So so each scale is tightly bound to the next scale with connective tissue, and it's thick thick connective tissue. And so um, this really does match, I think, the description at least so far. Um, none of what I'm saying is going to be dogmatic um, on this, but. Um, i did have a picture of it up i don't know where it went
0: is it that yeah wikipedia one
1: here's one yeah so here's dinosuchus and we could see and it's like rows of shields and so this is um on display at a museum in utah and uh, and there's dinosuchus with uh this it's it's teeth the size of bananas i mean they're just massive round um, they're not slicing teeth they're just puncture crush type teeth and um um so there's a couple more there's a couple more features that the text describes that uh i think the more i think about it the the more i'm thinking in terms of something like a, a dinosuchus as a real creature that 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 could have done this
0: is this is dinosuchus a type of crocodile is that some kind of extinct type of crocodile i mean does that mean crocodiles is close or like tell, tell me the the history of that
1: um it's crocodile like in its general anatomy but it's it's a unique, it's a unique creature. It's a uniquely created creature, separate, okay. separately created kind from crocodiles, even though it's got the body form that's like a crocodile. You know, it's kind of like a, in West Texas, we have phytosaurs, P-H-Y-T-O. And so they, they, their anatomy was just like a croc, except crocodiles and alligators have their nostrils at the tip of their snout, but the phytosaurs nostrils are right here in, on its forehead. Huh. So, the anatomy is different enough to where we're confident that these are separately created kinds, but they would have inhabited similar um, places. So, that's how I, and so what's unique about the anatomy of this as opposed to a croc, other than its size and its really thick um, osteoderms, uh, is the bulb on the end of its snout. Okay, so that's unique. well, I wrote an article on this, and I wanted to kind of look at that. It had <clears throat> it had uh, a large chamber at the tip of its snout, and the this, these are scientists describing uh, Dinosuchus. They're saying the reason for its enlarged nose is unknown. So I asked the question: Could this extra space, this bulb at the end of its snout, been used to house uh, the soft tissue that would have been um, uh, used to make fire? And then here's what I think is a real anatomical mystery that the Bible may help solve, um, these scientists said this, it had two large holes. So, imagine this snout it had two large holes, and I'm quoting, I'm quoting from them um, from their journal article that I read, at the tip of its snout, in front of the nose. So, these holes are, um, it, it had two sets of, of what looked like nostrils. Isn't that something?
0: Yeah. How,
1: how strange is this?
0: why would you need two sets of nostrils
1: these holes are unique to dinosuchus and we do not know what they were for and they're in front of the nose so it's like here's the bulb at the end of the snout you got two nostrils on top that's for breathing because as he comes up to the surface he wants to access air but then there's two extra nostrils in the front what were they for i mean were they for breathing fire you know like they're like fire emitters? Well, it's a possibility, and uh, it's, it's fun to think that maybe uh, this creature um, was, was a Leviathan, and that, and that the Bible here in its description of Leviathan as a fire breather can give us a possible answer as to why dinosuchus had two sets of nostrils, one for breathing, one for emitting fire, possibly. Don't know because it's fossilized, and, and flames don't fossilize.
0: That's the hard part.
1: That's the hard part. But anyway, we may be getting close with this creature. So what do oh. we, how much time do I have? Do we? Do I keep well, talking? Let me, I,
0: I need to let social media go YouTube, Facebook, podcast listeners. I know we went a little long with you guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, your articles are available on icr.org I encourage you to get those also he has written several books on this subject that I think are fascinating uh so I'd encourage you to go to icr.org and check out some of the articles just type in Dr Brian Thomas and his information will come up with things that he's written books that he's uh written things like that so uh would love for you guys to do that I want to continue the conversation with our partners here because we got some questions coming in you know well okay Okay, because I want to know how big was *Dinosuchus*. What are some more? What's some more of the science behind this? I'm like, man, I'm I was picturing a different creature than what you just saw there, and I'm like, I want to ask you about that as well. So we'll continue that with our Creation Today partners. Hey, social media, uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, podcast listeners, and uh, Creation Today show guests, thank you for joining me. Next week, I'm looking for a forward to a fantastic. Uh, time as we talk about monarch butterflies and evolution. Darwin and evolution is going to get absolutely massacred by monarch butterflies. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to do it. This is certainly going to be a unique way to do it. So no evolution believers after they watch evolution massacred by the monarchs. We'll do that next week, Wednesday at noon. Look forward to seeing you guys then.